Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Let's stand up and sing together. that we are able to come here and worship you today and we are thankful that you're loving and that you're merciful to us Lord and we are just grateful for the opportunity to worship your name Lord be with us throughout this service and open our hearts and our minds so that we can hear your word and your message and that we can take it with us wherever we go this week in your name I pray Amen 
Good morning. Raise your hand if you're ready for snow. Oh, me too. I'm so excited. You know what? God can do some amazing things with this. What is this? Water. God can do some amazing things with water. One of the things that God can do is he, he's made our rivers and our lakes and our streams and our oceans. And all of those are wonderful things with water. And you know what? Snow is made of water. Water. It's just frozen water. That is going to be so cool when we see all that snow when we know that it's made of water. And one thing that's really neat about snow, when you look out and, and snow covers everything and everything is all white, it looks brand new. When you see snow, everything looks new. It looks like a white Christmas. Everything is blanketed in that snow, and it looks fresh, and it looks new. Well, there's another thing that um, we do with water in our church, and it's called baptism, right? And one of the things that a baptism does is it would make you fresh and clean and as white as that snow inside your heart. And when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and you're baptized, you get that new start and you get that fresh, clean, new feeling and you get to start over. Just like when the snow blankets the ground and everything's all new, you get that nice new feeling inside your heart and you're living for Jesus then. And you start with a clean slate, brand new. Okay? So let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for water. And thank you for snow and for baptism and a new start. Amen. I tell you, some of us need baptism and some of us need pressure washing, <clears throat> myself included. Good to see you all here today. Glad that you're here uh, for this time of worship. I know you just wanted to get out of your house one last time before you're snowed in for 10 days or so. Um, but anyway, whatever brings you out, good to see you here. Want to give you an opportunity to share your prayer concerns. Some of you are carrying lots of heavy loads in terms of prayer concerns you carry. Let us help you. Uh, we invite you to write something down on index cards that we can, uh, that I can repeat in a few moments and uh, we'll share those concerns with you. Lift your hand if you need a card and we'll get you one and we'll collect them back up in a moment. Uh, when you're done, if you raise your card back up over your head, our ushers will come and collect them. Let's see, several announcements for today. Um, some of our preschool children's Sunday school classes are still in need of teachers for 2011. Please see Katie Jeter if you can volunteer. Thank you for your willingness to help with this important ministry at Memorial. Um, our Sunday night programs resume tonight. Um, preschoolers will meet Miss Jessica in the choir room at 5.30. This is a new schedule. Preschoolers, choir room, 5.30. 
um, and then they will be moved to up to the, to the um, second floor of the FLC for their program and parents can pick them up up there at seven o'clock. Elementary kids uh, meet Miss Katie when they come on the second floor of the FLC at 5.30 and parents will pick you up in the choir room at seven o'clock. So we're staggering the two groups. Um, hope that you will uh, be here to be a part of this. And we hope that you have marked your calendars already for the annual Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner on Sunday, February the 13th at 6 p.m. right here in this room. Uh, more information will be forthcoming. You have seen things like this sitting around the, uh, or taped up in various places of the church. This is information about the four Bible studies that are available and are beginning tonight at 5.30 for adults. Uh, if you need to, to learn more information later, uh, see Katie or me, or this will be around here to look at as well. Um, but that begins tonight as well. <clears throat> the um, news on our sick folk, Woody Melton is due to be released from uh, the cottages tomorrow. <clears throat> We're kind of looking and seeing how that's going to happen. But, uh, but anyway, he's made tremendous progress and will be soon uh, coming back home. And that's, he was gone all of what, November and December, so this is a wonderful thing. Uh, got a call, one of our folks got a call yesterday from Terry Arthur. Uh, Diane's mother passed away. She'd been hospitalized some during the, um, during the Christmas season, and I believe that's up in the Nashville, Memphis. Hmm? Nashville, you think, okay. Um, trying to read lips. But Virginia... They moved here from uh, Tennessee, but okay, this is up in Virginia. It's where Diane's mother lived, so remember her in your prayers. Uh, we also, this last week, um, Andy lost his grandmother. Uh, we remember the Watson family as well. Um, we ready with those? Got one more thing to announce, but uh, we'll get these first. Some of you have wondered where we are on our United Methodist apportionments that we've been telling you that we were coming up short on. It does look like we're going to finish the year not making our full payment. Uh, right now, it looks like we're going to fall about $7,000 short um, or 10% short of what was asked of us this last year. Um, there, this has to be paid this week. Um, as quick as Ann Hammond can dig out of her driveway, I would imagine. Um, we do want you to be aware of this. Don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul, as we say. And your routine giving is so important, I don't want to disturb that. But if this is a passion of yours that we pay our apportionments from the conference, I invite you to make a second mile give, gift if you would like to. If you would write on your check or envelope that you're giving for the 2010 apportionments, uh, we'll see how close we can get. But this will be the first time since about 1992 that we have not made all of our apportionments. Um, and, and a lot of churches are, are in our boat this year struggling. Um, so anyway, I want to call that to your attention and make you aware. 
and give you one final opportunity uh, today or tomorrow at the latest to help us with this if you want to see how close we can get to that uh, 100% mark. So we thank you for your concern and prayers. And we're determined to do a better job in 2011 uh, of, of this, uh, of maintaining a watchful eye on our spending here so that we can, can be faithful as we are in ministry to others around the world, okay? Let us uh, join our hearts together for a time of prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we are thankful for this day. We're thankful for the excitement that we feel. Maybe we don't really know what all is coming, <laughs> which might disturb our way of life with lots of snow, but it's wonderful when we see this beauty of creation way down here in the south that so seldom gets to see that beauty. We're thankful for your gift to us. We're thankful for your goodness to us always. And we pray for your um, surrounding love and, and sustaining grace with these folks whose names we've already called, who need your love and care. And these are our special prayers for this day. We pray for Dr. Neil Weiss's continuing healing. We pray for Clay Thornburg. We pray for David Bowling as he recovers from abdominal surgery. Um, as an eight-week-old baby. We pray for our troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We give you thanks for Neil's good medical reports. We pray for safety for Tom Rishforth and his team in Afghanistan. We pray for Kay, who is having surgery. We pray for safe travels, for parents returning from Texas, we pray for our college students who are going back to school. <coughs> we pray again for Clay Thornburg, who's recovering from a car accident. Lord, these are our prayers through Jesus, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. A tip of the hat this morning to Andy Watson, who always takes what I send him and makes it look so nice on the screen. You ought to see what I send him. It doesn't look like this. And to those who are operating our screen, thank you all very much as well. <clears throat> our lesson for the day is Matthew 3, um, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove 
and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here ends the lesson. Sometimes the new insight into spiritual realities comes from places that you least expect to find them. I was attending the youth gathering last Sunday night, seven o'clock upstairs, and Andy was leading them in a study of the book of James. Now, James is a fascinating book to study, very practical book, but it's fascinating to think about the fact that this book was written by a child of Mary and Joseph. Jesus didn't write any books, but his little brother did. James, a little brother of Jesus. That's an amazing thought if you stop and think about it a minute. And that fact alone makes the book worthy of our study. One can get a picture of the household of Mary and Joseph by reading what was important to their son James. But the new insight that I gained last, um, last Sunday night was from a high school student who has had to contend with having older siblings in her home who went through high school ahead of her and blazed a trail, so to speak, so that now when she goes to school, the teachers say, oh, you're so-and-so's brother, or sister, rather. There's your brother. This, this young lady said, wouldn't you have hated to be James and go to school and teachers say, oh, you're Jesus's little brother. Wouldn't you have hated to have to live up to that? kind of a good example that was lived by Jesus as he was growing up. I found this picture this week of, there's some siblings, Ah, the Manning boys. Uh, Sibling rivalry, sure enough. Not only does the insight that I get from you all sometimes come from some surprising sources, but I'm also surprised at finding out where Jesus shows up in life. He shows up in some odd places you'd least expect to find the Savior, the Son of God. What was he doing at a party that lasted seven days in Cana, a wedding party? What was he doing exhausted and asleep in a boat during a severe storm when his friends thought they were going to go under? What was he doing in those seedy places in the market populated by what you and I would call the scum of the earth, but that's where he was. And on this particular occasion we're looking today, you'll see uh, Nazareth up there, and down here is where the baptism took place. What's he doing 50 miles away from his home in a line of people who are praying, crying for forgiveness, afraid of God's wrath, waiting his turn to be baptized way down there. This last place that we find Jesus was such a strange location that even John thought it was the wrong idea, the wrong place. You're coming to me, John objected. I'm the one that ought to be coming to you. It just didn't seem to fit. I like this picture of baptism. This must have been a Methodist that wrote the, that painted this because they're not in the deep water. <clears throat> uh, Jesus really did look out of place. 
but Jesus insisted that John go ahead and do the baptism. It's proper that we do this, Jesus said. It would somehow fulfill righteousness. Now, in preparing for today's sermon, I decided to examine every translation of the Bible that I had on, on computer and otherwise to try to understand exactly why Jesus went to be baptized and what he meant by saying what he did to John. What was his motivation? Everybody else was going to repent. Jesus didn't need that. And why did he say to John something that made John want to go ahead and proceed with the baptism? Several translations seem to be telling us that Jesus thought that somehow John's baptism was a new commandment from God. And that for all people that wanted to be right with God, here was something new they needed to do, an additional requirement. You will remember that Jesus asked the religious leaders for their opinion when they were trying to trap him in a question. He said, let me ask you a question. John's baptism, was it from God or just a human idea? And they were scared and wise enough not to give an answer. But the implication from Jesus was, if this was from God, then why didn't you go to him? Why didn't you go down there and be baptized like I did, Jesus was saying. The J.B. Phillips translation of the Bible says, but Jesus replied, it is right for us to meet all the law's demands. Let it be so now. The Good News Bible follows this thought. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for in this way we shall do all that God requires. We must do all that God wants us to, and it must be done because we must do everything that is right, reads the CEV translation and the New Living Bible respectively. This train of thought has Jesus participating in the baptism because he thought it was a new requirement from God for all people who wanted to be right with God. But I really think there was more to it even than that. I believe that Jesus saw this baptism as a continuation of something God had long been a part of. Since the beginning of time, God had been at work to bring sinners back into his presence. Perhaps Jesus saw John and himself as taking up the task that God had already been doing, reconciling people to himself. The paraphrase of the Bible known as the message picks up this idea. Listen to how it translates the verse. But Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. So perhaps Jesus came to John for baptism because John believed that, or rather that Jesus believed that John's baptism was authorized by God himself and therefore important and because it was a continuation of something God had long been doing, bringing sinners back into fellowship with himself. It's also interesting to me that the NIV translation 
uses the word righteousness to explain what Jesus was after in his baptism. It says, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. <coughs> what might there be about righteousness that would cause Jesus to stand in a line of unworthy sinners to be baptized? As one who was given a proper religious training in his home as a youth, Jesus would have known that righteousness, right standing with God, was something that only God could confer upon you. It was not something you could earn. It was a gift from God that you asked for. Therefore, Jesus was doing in that line of sinners what he had done many times before in the synagogue and in the temple, to humbly stand before Almighty God, not claiming anything from his own goodness and works, but trusting in God's goodness to confer upon him the condition of righteousness. If God's son trusted in God and was declared righteous by his faith in God, how much more should we be about coming to God through faith in the same way? So Jesus was baptized, and perhaps he considered it something that God had now commanded, a new commandment, or perhaps it was because it was a part of all that God had always been doing to reconcile people to himself. And perhaps because Jesus knew that baptism was a sign of God's grace and acceptance. Perhaps we shouldn't, though, be too surprised to find Jesus in a line of sinners because Jesus was always to be found in a group of sinners. Wherever there were people who were seeking to do better, with their lives, who were seeking to find strength to live in God's favor. Then there was another reason I think that Jesus asked to be baptized, and it had to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. One of the things that we often say in the church regarding baptism is that the Holy Spirit is present whenever someone is being baptized, and the Holy Spirit is with us to convey to us the message, this one is God's child. Just what was going on here with Jesus after he received the baptism from John? There were those in the early days of the church who were known as adoptionists, who believed that it was at this very moment that the human person Jesus became the Son of God, that he was adopted at that moment, that up until then he had just been a normal human being. Those who believed this way were eventually defeated by those who believed in Jesus' virgin birth and his pre-existence in heaven before his birth, but that was a hotly debated issue in the early church. In our present day, our Pentecostal brethren have seized upon this experience of Jesus as proof that Jesus experienced something beyond simple uh, faith in God, that, that he received a baptism in the Spirit, as the apostles had done in Acts 2. Um, the implication being that before this moment, Jesus had not uh, received the Holy Spirit. And I have a problem with that interpretation. Because, for one thing, the angel told Zechariah that Zechariah's son, John, would be filled from, with the Holy Spirit from the moment of his birth. 
And somehow I can't believe that Jesus would have been any less full than his cousin John. So this is my understanding of what was happening with Jesus after he was baptized. And my interpretation begins with the belief that it's impossible to box God in to a simple formula. God's spirit is like the wind, Jesus said. And the spirit, therefore, is unpredictable and unrestrained. Mystery always surrounds the work of the spirit. And the minute you think you've got it all figured out, he's going to surprise you and come around another corner and do things differently. The same apostles who were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 were filled again two chapters later in Acts 4 after a time of prayer. In Acts 2, the Spirit came upon them telling them it was time to get out and begin the work of telling people about Jesus. In Acts 3, they underwent a horrible persecution. In Acts 4, it continues, the first time their lives were threatened for preaching. George, I've had a congregation of two threaten my life for preaching. I don't know about you. But anyway, um, you know, they, they, they were threatened for their preaching. And so in Acts 4, following the first serious persecution, the disciples prayed and again the Holy Spirit came upon them in a, in a magnificent way to give them strength and courage to continue the work. So what I believe is that Jesus and John saw something that had happened before to Jesus on other occasions. I am sure that it happened again and again as Jesus went through his ministry, when he retreated for private times of prayer. I know that he had times of fatigue and fear. At those times he prayed, and I'm sure the Spirit descended upon him then as we see it before John. And I'm sure that the night he prayed alone in Gethsemane, that God would allow the cup of suffering to pass away from him, that Jesus experienced the coming of the Spirit upon him that night as well, enabling him to carry the cross for you and for me. But the coming of the Spirit after he was baptized was a sign that Jesus needed to know that now was the time to begin his work. And empowered, uh, by the Spirit, he did begin his ministry. The Spirit would come upon Jesus again to help him often in times of need. When you were baptized, the Spirit was there with you. When you professed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit came upon you again. In times when you felt like you'd wandered away and you came back and knelt before God and said, Lord, I'm back. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I want to follow more closely. The Spirit came upon you again and again. The Spirit keeps coming to us. I hope that you don't think that you are full grown and done with the work of the Spirit the first time you've given your life to Him. You'll have many other occasions to be immersed in God's Spirit. One night there was a thud heard in a household and parents ran into a room to find their son who had fallen out of bed and he was crying, scared and hurt. And they picked him up and put him back in the bed and they said, son, why'd you fall out of the bed? And he said, well, I guess I fell asleep too close to where I climbed in. Some of us have fallen asleep too close to where we climbed in to this Christian life. 
we fall and we need to be picked up and when we do the spirit comes to us in new ways to give us strength pentecost can be repeated upon us every day giving us new insight and strength and what would it be like if you and i could hear god saying to us what jesus heard you're my child i love you i am so pleased with you many of us seem to think that if god was to say anything to us it would be something like boy what's wrong with you can't you do better than that I guess we know that's what we deserve so very often. But God's word to us is always an uplifting, loving, encouraging word. You know, Jesus always had a good word to give even to the vilest of sinners that he came in contact with. One of those that became his followers scoffed, Jesus can't be the Messiah. Nothing good could ever come out of Nazareth. And then he walked over to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you're a true Israelite. There's nothing false in your heart. I try to remember this every day as I go through life and I encounter people. And I realize that people need an affirming positive word because they've gotten so many negative ones. When our son John was a two and a half, three year old toddler, into mischief like they all are at that age. I one time put him down for a nap and he was up and down like they are. And so on about the third time I put him down, I said, John, you are a fine little boy. He looked up at me and he said, and you are one fine young daddy. Affirming words have a real impact upon us. Listen for God's affirming words to you day by day. He overlooks a lot of stuff in our lives. To pat you on the back for the good thing that you've done. You're my child and I love you, God will say to you. I am so pleased that you're mine. God who had long been at the task of reconciling the world to himself, was now sending John out into the ministry of reconciliation and Jesus out into the ministry of reconciliation where God could be saying to the world, you are my children. His spirit can descend upon us also, empowering us to live the Christian life. With the hymn writer we can sing, Spirit of God, Fall afresh on me. Amen. I invite you to stand now as we share together the affirmation of faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth.
Please be seated and we will worship God now by giving.
And now may you go forth in peace, continuing the ministry that God began, that he continued in the prophets and in John, that he culminated in the work of Jesus Christ, but continues living out in you and me to reconcile this world to himself. Amen. Have a snowy week.